Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Catching Foxes, episode 212. <laughs> this episode of Catching Foxes is brought to you by Catholic Social Media. We'll talk about them later in the show. That's actually a company not referencing the wider phenomena of Catholic Social Media. We'll get to them later, right? And you're getting the best of three takes for that one, so enjoy it, everyone. It's the best we could enjoy. do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Luke, how you been? Uh, I've actually been doing good. I'm feeling really good. Feeling good about myself. I'm feeling good about oh, life. Who knows what I'll be like tomorrow. But as of right now, things are good. So uh, a long time ago, me and you did a podcast where we talked about self-confidence. And uh, we talked about that book that you gave me a long time ago. Nice Guys Finish. No More, no more Mr. Nice Guy. No More Mr. Nice yeah. Guy by Dr. Ronald Glover, yeah. I think, or something Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Well, I, I was, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because the those sci-fi books that I listen to, the Galaxy's Edge series, one of the things that they constantly reference, and I've heard this about from biographies of ex-Navy SEALs and Special Forces people, is that they'll talk about like... <laughs> Who are now on business consultants. <laughs> yeah, which is so funny. Uh, they kill it both on and off the battlefield. Um that they in and outside of the corporate boardroom, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but they talk about how, like, when they walk into a room, everyone in the room like looks at them differently because they just exude so much self confidence. And in my sci fi book, it talks about that. Like, it just throws these references off to the side because you know the the authors were in the military and stuff, and uh, and you hear like these references, and I started thinking, what. What gives them that confidence? Number one, they're probably the most ripped people in the universe. They could beat up anyone. They have profound amount of skills. They could do things like jump and not split their pants. I think that's a source of a lot of confidence. But then I realized, yeah, no, no, it's definitely. really just the ability that they can kill anyone in the room. Because if, if you can kill any man in a room, you have a level. Do you do that? Do you ever walk into a room and size up the men and be like, Ugh. Do you ever do you ever do it? like if shit gets crazy? I don't know if I can take that guy out. I'm pretty sure I can take those guys out. No, you never do that. You never ever do that. Not really. Not really. You, have you ever been in a situation where like things like it looks like someone's gonna get in a fight with you, and you're just running that like what would it what would it be like if we fought? You never you never do that. No, because by the time that I, I get to that point, I'm like a, a ready to go, and I'm like, come on, you asshole! I'm getting real angry, so. So you're not I have blind like I in terms of like the fight or the flight thing I'm all fight. Right, so aren't like you I sizing just, them up at all? No, because I'm just too angry to even stop and think about it. <laughs> no. By that time I'm six Long Island iced teas into it and uh there's no cognition going on. I'm like, you know who sucks? Anyone from Pittsburgh. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, son. <laughs> No, I think about that all. I, I don't know. I, we had a buddy who went into the Secret Service. I'll leave him nameless right now. And he came to me one day and he said, Mike, I got a problem. Or as a whole. <laughs> yeah. He said, I got a problem and I want to talk to you uh, about right now. And he said, this is a moral problem I have in the Secret Service. And I said, wow, okay, what's that? And I'm thinking he's going to tell me some scenario. And he says, so I went to Special Forces or I went to the boot camp training. And we, I go under this additional anti-terrorism training. This is after 9-11. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, whenever I walk into a room, I size up every man there and I come up with an action on how to kill them or how to subdue them or if I could beat them up. And he's like, is that wrong? 
And I was like, what? Well, I've never done that. Like, I walk around the room and be like, he can kick my ass and he can kick my ass. I'll keep to myself in the corner. But he's like literally having to <laughs> size them up all the time. And I said, well, that's. But that's what, like, he's trained for. That's what he's right. yeah, grained in his Right. Head. And so that's what I. Or her head, however he or she identifies. <laughs> and so I said, so I says to Mabel, I says, uh, I was like, that, well, that's going to keep you alive. Like, you can't, like, this is why going to war is such an awful thing. Because we're going to have whole scores of men and women be trained that way. But I was like, no, it's not wrong for you to do that. It's your training, which will keep you and hopefully other people alive. But um, I think about that, like, but that man, and you know him, exudes the most confidence. And he has other reasons, too, as well. But he is, big penis, he is the most confident man. (laughs) Most confident man in the world. And I really do think... Confidence in a certain way is tied to, yeah, I can beat them up. Or if you're super rich, I can buy them out. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to push back here. Push I don't back. think that's where confidence comes from. We, oh, man, we're going to have an old school. We're, we are dusting off a classic here. We are. Um, confidence, man. Gosh, every joke we have is just a ripoff of one Daniel Tosh special from 2006. <laughs> you realize that? Yep. Every single joke we have is just from I that. heard a if priest a- quote Daniel Tosh, and he did not attribute it. And I was like, shame on you, sir. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to that entire comedy album on CD, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> Call the pit boss. Call the pit boss. <laughs> You forgot because you're oh. stupid. Okay. Um, <laughs> the point is that a person in that instance knows how to handle them themselves, and that's what I think. Because when you go back to No More Unlimited Mister Nice Guy, that that book, it's all based around the idea of I can take care of my own needs. Because what the nice guy does is think, no, I can't take care of my own needs, so I'm going to try to. Uh, manipulate everyone around me to take care of them um to take care of them for me as opposed to i can handle this myself so it's not so much the ability to you know beat people off with beat people up in 2.3 seconds it's the fact that they know how to handle them they know how to handle themselves yeah and so you know those guys who and it's and it's I'm not that people don't feel awkward or don't feel weird or don't know what to do, but they know how to respond to that. They have the so it's really what you know confidence actually comes from courage, because if you don't know what to do, if you at least have the courage to try to understand and come up with some kind of answer, it will give you it will give you that confidence. I like that confidence comes from courage. I think though that. Courage also exists when there's there's a, a need to be courageous, right? So there's an element of fear. But if you can beat the crap out of any other guy, I think about this all the time. Okay, maybe this is just my own problems. This is why I'm overweight. But I think about like well, that and the peanut butter. That and the peanut. Uh, it's peanut butter jelly time. There has to be an intrinsic link, evolutionarily. Evolutionarily is that a word? Between you know it is now alpha male ability to dominate and i don't know i just keep thinking about this i keep coming back to this but even like the beta male can have confidence Uh, but uh, but unless he's going up against the alpha male i don't think so because if you look at someone like jason siegel in his things he's a very uh 
not confident. Like he he doesn't have this whole like alpha, I'm going to kick your ass kind of things. But in his films and in and in 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 the characters they play, he does have he does they're they're um, confident in who they are, even in their weakness. Like one of my favorite um, one of my favorite things ever in in a movie is the beginning of forgetting Sarah Marshall when she breaks up with them and he like goes oh, and then like his and he's in a towel and his towel comes off and he's just naked <laughs> and she's breaking up with him and you like see his penis and he's just like there and he's like what and like start and he starts crying and stuff and he's just naked and i'm like <laughs> like I've the confidence it takes i've never seen oh it's it, it's the i love that movie a lot because i i see a lot of myself in anything are that you Jason kidding me? Does. that scene you just described is you what are you talking about yeah, just he's crying he's naked and she's like don't you want to put on your like don't you want to put this towel on he's like i can't i'm just so upset <laughs> catholicmatch.com <laughs> but the, the ability to you know so he's not this like beta dude but he's very confident in who he is and what he's trying to portray within within his characters like he then he tends to play characters who really they are very much in the moment and they feel these deep these deep things right there and they're not apologetic about it yeah and i think like the bulk of nice guys tend to view it all as being alpha stuff because it's a thing that they can't do and instead of trying to just be who they are they have to uh, manipulate everything to feel yeah and they're resentful. They're deeply resentful of the alphas. There is no difference between a real alone nice guy and like the jerk that always that always gets gets the girl. They're both doing the same thing to try to like get women. It's just that the the jerk guy isn't being pathetic about it. He's just being brutally honest. So he's actually dwelling in reality a little bit more. And even though it's coming from a bad place, at least he's being honest about his badness. What makes him the jerk? You mean the jerk like morally, not like being a jerk to the woman? I, I would say um, maybe a little bit of both, you know, kind of just being like, oh, I'm with you, but now I don't care. I, I, okay. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that he's doing. I'm saying that if you were to put this on like a you know, hierarchy of things. So like the best thing to do is to, you know, treat the woman well but not try to get your self-confidence or, y- you know, your own self-respect from her. Yeah. And to treat her like the human being that sh- she is. I think the worst thing that you can do is to think that you're treating – to try to treat her well to get things out of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to the nice guy – as opposed to, like, the jerk who's going to try to get stuff out of her but is going to be very kind of blunt and obvious with what he's doing. So he's not necessarily I'm lying about who or what he is. He just is being this jerk thing. But what what the nice guy does is to try to um, differentiate themselves from that guy. They're going to try to be nice and try to um, manipulate the girl, which is always or just by just being around. Yeah, and it ends up being very unattractive. It just looks more pathetic. It's it's like being you're actually being very lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. And then you get angry at the girl when she doesn't um, find you interesting because you're not really um, taking a stand. Right, right, right. You basically have, like, at least the jerk guy has a spine. I'm not not trying to say that his behavior, like, both behaviors of the nice guy and the jerk are abhorrent. Yeah. But the jerk at least is upfront about what he's doing. 
And I think this dovetails nicely into follow-up from our last episode, We Are Hacks. Because part of it, of the topic, was, like, are we adopting personas, not just for our audience, uh, in you know, in general terms or, or even specifically our people who listen here, but like my fear of adopting a persona as a Catholic speaker, Oh, I can't shave my beard. It's conference season and blah, blah, blah. Right. The idea of the idea of this has been like kind of hanging in my head with, uh, not courage. What are we talking about? Confidence. Because like the, the thing about that book that was so powerful is the nice guy is wearing a mask of niceness that describe that uh, disguises his aggression. Like he is act- the passive aggressive is still aggressive. He just does it in terrible, subtle ways. And I think that's, uh, you know, for me in my own life, like I, I was very specifically passive aggressive when it came to confrontation, not about women, but about life in general. Right. Like, I don't know. Did you think of me as someone who was like blunt and honest in college? I could get it, like, we could get it out of you, but it always took a little bit of work. Yeah, it always did. It always did. The only time it didn't, I'll, I'll be honest with you, is when I you, you screamed and yelled at me, what the fuck do you want me to do? Because I honestly, like, there are so few times when I am like, hey, this is going wrong. I clearly see this in you, and I think you need to change or something needs to happen or whatever. I rarely, I rarely was like that, especially early on, because I feared the consequences of people not accepting my nice guyness, right? Like I was the nice guy. I was the Jesus guy. I was the receptionist in the evening at my church. I was the first, you know, high school employee at St. Anthony of Padua. Oh, well, okay. Daniel Stem was, but he ran facilities. I was a totally different thing. I worked a desk. I was the guy that women that moms would set their daughters up with to go to prom and homecoming and band banquets because I was the safe guy. You know what I mean? But deep down, I was the guy that was also looking at porn. So at the same time, like I'm wearing the nice guy mask, but if maybe kind of sorta she'd let me make out with her, that'd be awesome. You know, like there was a fear there that I I wanted the same things that the jerk wanted, but I was afraid. So I was very passive about it. And that's like what the jerk would do is they would just try to make out with the girl. Yeah. And now I, I again I'm not trying to say that that is necess- that that's what he should do. I'm not. Please don't think I'm trying to say yeah, like yeah, what yeah. like what you should do is try to like assault the girl. That's yeah. please. That's, that's not what I'm saying. You should not just but walk up saying, and grab her in the you know what. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Unlike some people, like the president of the United States who just called for a civil war. Anywho, <laughs> um, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, it everyone. Just cancel his Twitter. Account. Just wanted, I just wanted to end. I'd so be. I'd be so happy with Pence. I would vote for Pence in a heartbeat. <laughs> it's way better than this. Yeah. Any, if anywho, keep if going. Obama said half. Sorry, no, keep going. No, I was saying, if Obama said half the crap that he did, right wing, we, we'd be losing our minds. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Anywho, um, my my. My point, though, you hit on a really interesting word, the word uh, if they didn't accept me. And the thing is, is that I I don't know if this is like postmodern bullshit or not. I could be wrong. But I do think that your acceptance has to come from 
yourself or dwelling in, in on reality that you are accepted by people who care about you. But, but what the nice guy will do is try to uh, is try like manipulate acceptance because they can't give it to themselves. You know? Oh so, yeah, totally, totally. Like he, like here's a classic thing. I couldn't just take when I was at an Aus, Aus, when I was in Austria. I couldn't just go there and, and have a good time. I had to fall in love and have a beautiful Austria story and come back and get married to a girl and be able to you tell our to, kids we met in Europe. You had to have the Roman holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I sat on the plane out there with this one girl, and I like I'm sat down, and I was like, wow, she is really cute, and she clearly goes to Steubenville. It just, she kind of had to like, um, look to her. Shapeless plaid jumper. <laughs> no, no, but just like you know, like you just can't tell. Um, and you know, we ended up having this long talk out in France about like you know how we liked each other, and then it all just got into my head. And instead of being able to enjoy my time out there, I was just all like, "What does she think? What does she think? What does she think?" You know, and, and just and that's not attractive. And then then you try to be like the nice guy to try to not get rejected, and it just comes across as weird. And she was like, "I don't think so." And then I'm like, "Cue sadness for three months. <laughs> Cue ruining all of Austria for yourself." Yeah, because in my head I was glued to this thing of it has to look like this, and it just. To be honest, I think it like exhausted her. It exhausted all of our friends. I mean, I thought Maggie Smith was going to lose her mind. It exhausted all of our household brothers. It was just getting stupid and sad. And it really wasn't until maybe like, you know, there's only like ten or like like maybe like ten days, two weeks left that I finally was able to almost I was like able to like let it go and just have a good time. And then I then I almost kind of hit, hit things off with, with this other girl, but I was just like, I don't want to I don't want to go down that road yet. So like it's. Like, like, like the minute you get detached from that stuff, good stuff starts to happen. Yeah, but the ta- detaching from that stuff is an act of courage. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, so taking that step away from, like, trying to manipulate other people's acceptance of you. It, it, that yeah, that is that is a boldness. That is a leap of faith. You are literally stepping into the void because you have never done that before. You've never just yeah. trusted in. Self acceptance, I guess, would be the would be the kind of like yeah, yeah, and, and just way. really like, do I can I really accept the fact that people like me? Can I accept the, you know they're like it's so funny being back home because I've you know I've encountered all these people that uh, that I went to high school with, and it's been really great, but it also brings up like high school stuff. You have all these you know weird memories, and it's like it's all like just brought back to the surface, and I've had to stop myself and go. You know, Luke, you had a lot of re- like. I was actually I'm talking to my sister about this, and she goes, "You were kind of an asshole towards the end, towards the end of high school." And I was like, "Why?" I was like, "I don't think I was at all. I was like a really I'm nice guy." And she was like, "Exactly. Like you just thought you were better than everyone, and that's not w- what was going on." But I was so insecure in myself that instead of just trying to just enjoy my time with people, I closed myself off. And was just not uh, not uh, um, bitter, but it was kind of this whole um, and like and it, like and a rock has no friends and an island um never cries kind of thing, you know. <laughs> like I'm gonna keep you away because you can't hurt me. But then I was like, wait, I had such good friends. I had great friends in college. After that, I was like, I 
I have never lacked for people in my life who care about me and are my friend and who have and who have accepted me for who I am. But for some odd reason in my head, I never quite got through till like late till late college. Yeah. Do you remember how like, anxiety I'm ridden I was probably the first two and a half years of school? I, I mean, yeah, I just didn't want to say anything because I was scared of how you would accept me. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, were, I mean, I, you were anxiety ridden, I would say, about like with women. Yeah, but it was about everyone. Was it? A, oh oh my gosh! What am I saying? Women. Of course, it was about everyone. You thought Jason Carter was taking over our his your place and our friendship, and you like mounted a campaign against him. I did not mount a no. That I did not Luke, mount a campaign. You sent out flyers. Jason. You put up. Posters, I brought up that I was worried. Six stump speeches. <laughs> but then we. But then I like apologized to him when I was in Austria. We were out to lunch, and, and he became one of my best friends yeah. out in Austria. Like. It's funny when you let go, like when when you just can admit to a person, I'm scared of losing this. Yeah. Like a lot of that stuff just kind of goes away. You know, and a lot of that, when you're able to admit that and allow people to enter into that and say like something like, okay, so here's a, you know, here is a great example. At the beginning of our time during our freshman year of college, I got really scared that I was going like, to lose everyone as a friend. I was being pushed out, and that John and Adam were going to be the cool guys that all all of the girls liked, which was true. And uh, I was going to be like, I'm a, I was going to be alone. And I had to tell John, I was like, Hey, man, can I just talk to you? I'm like really nervous about this. I know this is dumb. And John was like, dude, like, we love you. We would never I – don't, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what, what he said, but John's always kind of been the guy that I could just, like, share. Like, I have this crazy, like, sphere in my heart. Is this insane? And he can kind of, like, help me see – like, kind of be – it's good to have a person that you can tell that to. And it cleared all that up instantly. All right, here's the deal. You ain't got no staff. No time and certainly no budget to make creating compelling content for social media in any way a priority. So what do you do as a Catholic parish? Probably what most parishes do, and you just copy and paste things straight from your bulletin page onto your Facebook page. Man, that ain't no way to live. And yet, all the millennials, Gen Xers, and even grumpy, fussy baby boomers are online like 24-7, which means your church can be online like 24-7. And they don't just want you to have a presence online. They want it to be good, like like really, really good. That's why CatholicSocial.media exists. You subscribe to them, and they hook you up with daily social media posts that you can personalize for your parish without their, like, logo all over the stuff. You know, like when you illegally pull stuff from Google Image Search, and it has other people's logos all over everything? Not that I've ever done that. I am as pure as the morning dew. CatholicSocial.media is a Catholic company with Catholic artists, designers, writers, and videographers coming up with the very best stuff for your parish. And you can look like a genius and save time and money. Head on over right now to try.catholicsocial.media. Apparently, the design nerds over there are big fans of Catching Foxes, and they created a free trial with a discount code FOXES for you just to try out their stuff and see if it's a good fit for your parish. That's a free trial with the promo code FOXES over at try.catholicsocial.media. Special thanks to catholicsocial.media for sponsoring this show. One of the best emails we ever got was, this is going to sound like I'm crapping on Steubenville. I'm not. Everyone should go there. Uh, 
one of the best emails we ever got was from was from a guy named I think it was uh, Father Ben Dallas. Yeah. Right before a reunion in two thousand, so this is our um, household, which is like a um, Catholic frat. We were gonna have we were gonna have a big reunion for in two thousand and three because college. <laughs> and he said something about how Steubenville could be a it uh, was a feminizing yep. place. Do you remember how much that convicted us? Oh yeah. Like I'm trying to remember like what exactly it was that he said. Um, Steubenville is a very feminizing fa- place because he was saying. There's nothing challenging about Steubenville. There, everything is given to you. Faith is easy. Most of us came from high schools where being the faithful one was extraordinarily difficult. That was his whole thing. Mm-hmm. His whole thing was like, it's a nurturing environment. It's not, it, it's not a challenging environment. Sometimes I think we use the word feminizing in like a dangerous way. But it was a nurturing yeah. environment. It wasn't a challenging environment. And men need to be challenged. In many ways, and it's not something that's good. It's nothing confrontational. But how easy a was it to go get affirmation from women? Absolutely. Like, it was the Absolutely. easiest thing. Like, how? I mean, how many times did I walk into the calf and, like, you'd be at a table, you have, like, a bunch of girls around you, and you're making them all laugh? Or how many times was I, I doing miss that? that so much. <laughs> I know. We were, like, kings holding court. <laughs> Ladies. It's- I remember, like, Emily was trying to explain it to, to like, uh, some people, and she's like, it's a place where, like, Luke and Gomer are the most popular people on campus. <laughs> and I was like, and how? And how? <laughs> so we should rename Catching Foxes to FUS Calf. <laughs> no, but right, because, like, mm-hmm. and you no, that's very so true. many. That's very true. It was so easy to be the guy who had tons of girlfriends, like friends who were girls. Yeah, and the opposite is true for women. I remember talking with one woman at Franciscan, and she she was crying one day. And she was a wonderful girl, and she made it abundantly clear she was not attracted to me in any way, shape, or form. Gosh, it really Name d- names. It really does feel like I'm back there right now. I can't believe I'm still talking about this stuff. But I remember her. Name s- names. No, 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 no. I don't even know if I remember Just her Give name. me a hint. Oh, it doesn't narrow it down. It kind of does. There was, there was like three of them. Yeah. So the but she said to me she was crying one day, and I said, "What? what you know what's going on?" She said, "I'm just you know it's really hard." Okay, okay, I'll I'll admit it. I'm in love with someone, and he's a seminarian, right? So this guy was in the Livingstones household, which is a seminarian household, and she's like, "I don't want to get in his way and any of that stuff," and I don't think he feels the same way about me. And I said. She goes, I don't know, why do I keep doing this? This happened to me again, my freshman year. Now I'm a junior. It's happening all over again. I said, because they're safe. She said, what? And I was like, it's like your gay best friend. Like, you're okay around them because the opposite sex challenges you in a different way. But she was gravitating towards seminarians who were already, quote, unquote, you know, off the table in terms of dating. So mm-hmm. she felt free to be herself because those men were safe. She didn't have to try to get a guy like you know and all that stuff they weren't gonna pursue that so maybe she felt the most comfortable with them because here was a group of men not pursuing her um but at the same time i i I was just like you know they're safe and you're not putting yourself out there in terms of relationships you're staying with relationships that you know can't progress and oh wouldn't you know it you get to know a person you actually do like them and it can't go anywhere and now you're frustrated so stop hanging out with the pre-theologates and start hanging out with am diggers look at this watch my pecs dance hey hey 
Taylor Marshall is gonna is going to unrip this off of me in the future. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, everyone. It's just a joke. Um, I'm just kidding. No, it's not. Uh, but no. But how many guys in at Steubenville were the non-gay gay best friend? Yeah, and like uh, this happens across the board in not yeah. just there within on the Catholic young person culture. Uh, can I tell you one of the reasons why? Because the only thing young adults group groups do is sit around and talk. Exactly. You need to get drunk and just make out or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then if they do, it goes too far and it's like, you dumbass. <laughs> but I mean, they're not doing anything other than talking. And it's like, what are we going to do about our faith? We're going to sit in a classroom. What are we going to do about our community? We're going to sit in a small group. What are we going to do about anything? We just talk to each other. And that has not yeah. been man's domain. That has been woman's domain, unless it's well, me and I you really, with a microphone. I thought that the <laughs> exactly. I thought that really, like when we really started to shine. I, like I really enjoyed our first couple of months there because everything is just so new. Oh yeah, and it's just so much fun. Like it was just so much fun hanging out and talking to everyone. And me and John just playing shit tons of Zelda. Life <laughs> was beautiful. Life was beautiful. Uh, Truly, like the least amount, of, like the, I mean, even there were times I was doing very well in school, and I was like, "Life is great. This is so easy." Um, <laughs> then I get sad. It's going like, to be like this forever, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> They'd be like, "Wait, why am I losing my hair?" Put on dashboard confessional and start crying. <laughs> um, but but shit, what was my point? Oh, I felt like when we got older, it got more fun because we just started doing stuff. Yeah. Like, we would throw parties, we were going to bars, like, doing all that stuff was actually that some people tend to demonize, used to make me really angry, like the one girl who complained about the huge party we had during the last Saturday of college. Yeah. I was just like, come on, like, this is it, this is it, this is a lot, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to stop this, sorry that your parents came into town, but, like, this is a place where a bunch of college <laughs> they kids live. They shouldn't have gonna- out and got a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's I, I remember just being very like no you can't like that's not how this works like I'm, I mean I even and I really I like this girl I, th- I thought she was I'm very nice but I was just kind of like this is our last Saturday it was it was it was uh, the Saturday like right in the, in the middle of like right in the middle of um, of um finals so it's kind of like the one um night of of that time period that you don't have anything going on the very next day yeah 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 and we threw a kick-ass party and it was awesome and I I, I think more people at Steubenville and and and, we're, oh, and and at like more young adult stuff, we need to have more like fun parties where people are playing games and we're having um dinner parties. Like I went to a, a sushi making party last night. It was so much fun. Uh, uh, last night, yeah, it was um last night. It was so much fun. And doing like we need to do more stuff. And I think like a lot of Catholics don't want to do stuff because they're scared of the culture. Yeah, and which is understandable. Like it's. It's very hard to be Catholic right now. And so if you go to a party, people might think you're being a skis bag. Or if you're going on a date with like a um, couple, if you take it like a um, couple girls out, out on a date, you're, you know, being a player or all this stuff. Like the, the best time I ever had throughout all of college was at the very end. Not, not, I mean, sorry, this, this almost like one of the best times where we partied very hard. We studied very hard. We prayed very hard, and we like we did everything like all out, and yeah. it was amazing. Like it was the best balance. Now it was also over the summer, so it's a little bit easier to kind of do all that stuff. I will say, for me, the biggest turning point from leaving behind that mask of the nice guy was the realization that 
as a man, I needed not only did I need male friends, but like I wanted to have them. And I saw the value. Uh, so many of my friends who, so it's, yeah, it was you three guys plus the rest of AMDG that drew me into a life surrounded by men because I was the church kid. And by the church kid, ipso facto, 75% women, 25% men. And so you're surrounded by that, that you just kind of, this is kind of like goes through the medium is the message thing that we were talking about last week. Like when Mm -hmm. everything is dominated by the feminine and the feminine is wonderful and good and beautiful, but it's not the masculine, the masculine will just adopt itself or to the feminine or like the nice guy, or it'll oppose it and get in your face like a troll or a jerk or whatever. And I find that it wasn't until I surrounded myself in an absurdly masculine culture that is AMDG, I can equate it to what I describe men in prison talk about gangs when they talk about it in the good way, not in the the horrific, obviously, the violence and the sex and the abuse and the drugs. But when they talk about gangs, when you actually get an inmate to sit down and explain to you why he joined a gang, nine times out of ten, it was because he needed a father figure and only had brothers. But the brothers filled that need like he was loved and accepted and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, he was used and turned into a killing machine and all this other stuff. But there was this element that happened before all of that. He was protected, right? So a lot of kids will join gangs in the hood at a very early age because they're getting beat up every day as they just walk to school. So they join a gang and all of a sudden – you got 10 if you're a, if you're a 9-year-old kid and now you're surrounded by a bunch of 16-year-olds and they personally walk you to school that makes you feel like a million dollars when i was in amdg it it was like a forced initiation to a world that was kind of at arm's length for me and i because i didn't play sports after 8th grade football i didn't play sports and i was good at football i loved i i loved it i didn't hate it but it was it was easier going the other route. It was, and I, I already was. I like, I knew I'm, I'm a nerd. My family, they're all athletes. I'm a nerd. I gravitate towards that. I loved computers, but it was never really like fostered in my home. So I only just got little snippets of taste there. But well, I, and I think that's also kind of the danger for you. Sorry, I just yeah. I'm no, I was just gonna say I went the intellectual too. way, not the athletic way. But in doing that. I I mean, I, like, I used to watch sports all the time. And then I just found, I, I while I was becoming more myself, like, I am more of an academic than I am, you know, the athletic stuff. Not that the two are opposed. But that's just how my life drifted, and I could understand that. But I also used that as a way, like, okay, let me just say this. This is, this is painful. This sucks. But hopefully it's not exhibitionism. When I decided to become homeschooled. One of my main reasons was I would never have to go in Coach Gee's PE class again. Because I knew I was the fat kid, the slow kid, whatever. Um, But everyone still liked me because I was the funny guy. I also didn't take shit from the seniors. They would, like, make fun of us freshmen. and, And I would just trash them back and dare them to do something. But I was funny in doing it. So they were like... Okay, like I'm not gonna, you know, like my brother left my Catholic school because a guy wanted to kick his ass and the guy would have destroyed him. And my brother 
basically had to leave the whole school and go to a public school because of the humiliation of that. Now, my brother is an athlete. My brother is extremely, at that time, was extraordinarily violent. <laughs> he was a drug addict. Like, he could have held his own, but not against that guy. So he just skipped the fight. The next day, everyone called him a you-know-what. And, and then he ended up, like, three weeks later going to public school and being done with that. But my whole existence at that point was, how can I retreat away from these things that challenge me? Like, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to be homeschooled so I don't have to, you know, do a pull-up test and get zero and feel like a piece of shit in front of the entire class. I did that myself. But at the same time, yeah, I still see value in that. Okay, anyway. Yeah, you were going to say. No, no, no. Well, I I think that, um, like, there was um, value in that, but I think you did homeschooling wrong. I I don't I I'm, I'm no this is gonna I, sound hard no I agree with but you like you weren't uh, you could have joined a speech and debate team you would have been very good at that you could have done other things to you know push yourself instead you were like oh I can just go home and do hide. all my work and watch Law and Order yeah you know and hide behind my work and this stuff and not like the good thing about going to high school is you should have all these opportunities to do all these um, different things. It's not always the case, but it's it like that's the ideal high school experience. It's like here's all this different stuff that you can try. Yeah. That's actually more on the college, but like you should at least have the opportunity to. Yeah, you know. I mean, uh, I t- when I was a freshman I- at Bishop Kelly Catholic High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I took every art class they had. Um, I took. I, I would meet with the brothers. They're Christian brothers. I would meet with them and just talk theology. Like I loved that stuff, and I would do that stuff when I was homeschooled. Here's the deal. This is the good thing about homeschooling. I was more unschooled. Um, I knew I wanted to study theology. I thought I was going to be a priest. So I did it all the time. I studied philosophy and theology, and I loved it. And I don't have any regrets with that, but I, I regret why I entered. And I entered because I, I entered because, number one, there was a girl who was pretty, and I, she was homeschooled, and I never even heard of that. Um, the other thing was, as I, it was an out, Luke. It was an out. It was an out from being pushed as a man. And for I don't know if the women listening to this can like maybe tell me, oh, get over your masculinity or whatever, but or if they sympathize with it, like there are certain things that you need other men to push you. And it is very easy to collapse under that or to avoid it. And it wasn't until I would say my probably my sophomore year that I realized. Like, I need the incredibly, insanely manly men that is, you know, Ben Hickman in our household. I need to be friends with him because I I need a tenth of his strength, you know? And I look around at these other people that that I was in that group with, and they were so different, but they were aspects of them that I desperately wanted. And the beautiful thing is I got it. Like, I benefited more than I feel like anyone else in AMDG because I felt like it broke me of being passive-aggressive. It broke me of trying to be the nice guy. I still had tons of stuff that I had to grow past, but, like, when me and my wife have a confrontation, mm -hmm. like, I just tell her. Like, it's awesome that we don't hide these things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I have the exact same. Like, that's one of the – so, oh, within a household, you would have certain – commitments during the week and we had one called detox that to this day is still my um, favorite thing that we did 
I think and where we just kind of say, here's all the, all the crap that I have going on. And, um, and it, it, you yeah. know, it was definitely the blind. I'm like leading the blind. So it would become real dumb very quick. And you <laughs> should never have alcohol while you do it. Right. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but <laughs> I screamed at my best friend and got in his face and said, F you over and over again. And then slammed the door in, a, in an act of dramatic defiance. <laughs> Anywho. Something that happened on I Twitter s- just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I have stormed out of at least three household meetings. Okay. So uh, I'm angry and done here. Excuse me. Just stop. <laughs> you, you, excuse me, sir. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. One time I screamed at this one kid and he seemed so scared. I felt so bad about it. And then me and Aaron gave him a ride like, you know, 10 years later, and he's like, I don't remember that at all. And I was like, oh, thank God, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, so anyways. Um, blah, 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 Detox. Blah. It, it, has help, it has helped me understand that I need to, especially as the extrovert that we are, yeah. I need to communicate with Aaron, here's what's going on. I'm not saying we have to solve it, but I'm, it's ingrained in my brain of here's, here's, here's um, what's happening. And I think one of the beauties of household that – as has gone away in postmodern America, it's even now, especially post Christian America, although it's kind of coming back, is it was organized. It had a name, it had charisms, it had a culture to it. It was an actual organic, I'm living thing that wasn't just a thing that we did. Like this was like we had a we had we had a covenant that we never read or bothered to try to <laughs> adhere to, but we signed it regardless. Like there was, I remember energy. signing like, that, was, being like, "What's a? There's a covenant? Like, oh, look at that! Oh, I'll, I'll put my signature <laughs> yeah. here, you old Herbie Hancock." And now the paddling of the swollen ass. Um, <laughs> I love Blaze. <laughs> and now the paddling of the swollen ass. Um, <laughs> but it, it uh, I, I actually think that's really important. Yeah. And I think when you're in an organized thing, like I'm. Like, when you meet a guy, this is part of the reason why some stuff that's happened recently has just been, like, so devastating for me. Because, like, when you meet a guy who's in it, who wasn't in it while during, like, your time, you have this thing in common. And you kind of share this bond of, like, we did this thing together that only people like us understand. And that's actually, for a dude, very, very crucial, I think, to be part of this tribe. That is that again. That like has a name. That you know has a cool T-shirt. That has a banner that should have never been made. And they, I'm very pissed off that we got rid of the crappy banner. <laughs> Some bullshit right there. That's fucking ridiculous that we did that. Anyways, that we got rid of the piece of shit banner. We had it was the best piece of shit banner in the world, and then all of a sudden, my girlfriend's mom made this. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Things you can get angry about 15 years later. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely wonderful. So a buddy of ours sent us this um, this PDF of a book called Poverty of Spirit. Uh, Justin, he's a fan Ooh, of I haven't show. had a chance to, to listen to look, Well, he just said, he's yet. like, just read the beginning. And so I began to read a little bit of it. And I thought it was fascinating because he talks about, you know, Plato... In Plato's writings, he talks about being, which is God alone. Being, once you become being, you're immutable, you're unchangeable. But we are changing, so we're not really being, we're becoming. And so the priest kind of used this in the spiritual writing, and he talks about how we are in the process of becoming human, becoming a human being. Excuse me. 
And it and, uh, to household. And so, in the beginning of the third part of the catechism, it says, "You know, O Christian, become what you are." And it's a great line. I love the line. There's a there's a Catholic theologian that thinks this is the dumbest thing in the world. Like, well, how do you become what you already are? But it's like we are humans, but we're not really what humans are meant to be. So that's the law of becoming, right? We we want to become this. But the guy talks about like our being obedient to faith and to the commands of Christ and all this stuff leads us into true freedom, you know, than rather than threatening our freedom. And so he talks about this. He said, but the, however, this process of freely becoming a man, and he means man in general, a human, has its own inherent temptation. By its very nature, this process is a trial. Embedded in it is the danger of going awry. Man entrusted with the task of making himself man faces danger at every side. He is always a potential rebel. He can scarcely betray the humanity entrusted to him and has done precisely this from the beginning. He can try to run away from himself, from the burdens and the difficulties of his lot, even undergoing so far as to take his own life. Under the myriad evasions of a materialistic docetism, he can stifle the truth of his being. In short, he can fail to obey this truth, thus aborting his work of becoming a human being. And he goes, like, to me, that is in one of the ways what nice guys do or what I did. I took a detour in my life called homeschooling. Because I was scared of the burdens and difficulties of my lot, and I ran away from it. But the amazing thing is, and this is kind of what pisses me off about the book Wild at Heart, is it's still freaking true yeah. 20 years later. He has this, he, there's was, a guy in the story who has a dream of a lion chasing him. He's a nightmare. He screams every night. And he had it for like 10 nights in a row, and his Christian counselor said, I want you to face the lion, and he refused to. Keeps happening, keeps happening. So finally one day he faces the lion, and the lion stops and doesn't eat him. And the lion speaks to him and says, I'm your strength. Why have you been running from me your whole life? And I remember reading that when I was in college and being like, this is so powerful. But, like, the reality is, like, we do run from the very things that will make us stronger because there's fear in because those things are unknown. I'm not strong. I'm scared of the work it'll take to be strong, so I'm going to become a pickle rather than face the work of becoming strong, like we talked about last time. I'm gonna, and the guy talks about, this priest, he talks about, this book was written, just so you know, in like 1963 or something. But he says, uh, on the other hand, may, may, man may withstand this temptation and lovingly accept the truth of his being. For this moment, we shall call this attitude love of self. And he talks about it in, in a Christian way. But to me, like that's what we were talking about oh so many episodes ago about self-confidence. Right is this notion of like I am who I am, Popeye, and I can understand my humanity. Like I'm a work in progress, but it starts here, and I love myself enough to repent, to keep striving, to achieve virtue, because God loves me. Right, like this is the humanity God gave me, and I'm going to view it as a gift, not as well. I'm not like that guy over there who's Ben Hickman and could beat me up. Have you ever heard of um, Ratzinger's uh, his uh, his it 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 is late at night, so the speech impediment is real. (laughs) I'm waiting, Luke. I'm waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, get to it. All right, our patience is wearing thin. His theology of affirmation. Uh, okay. So I've come across it. I have not. It's study wonderful. Yeah. I heard an hour talk on it, and then we talked about it for hours afterwards. It is wonderful. It 
if I and you're saying this is Ratzinger's, up, not Pope John Paul's. Yes. Okay. No. This is yeah. This is Ratzinger. It might be um him as Benedict. I don't really know. Whatever. Okay. Um, but I believe it comes down to this idea that not only is it good that I exist, but it is necessary that I exist. I need to understand that my existence is necessary, not just good. And I, I get I do not I am not a Ratzinger expert. I'm probably screwing this up. So uh, every Thomist in the audience is like, but man is a contingent being, not a necessary being. Yeah, perhaps all the Thomists should actually try to believe in Jesus. Anywho, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Both of us are over Thomism. Anywho, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying, take all your laws and. No, go ahead. I don't. I don't know where I'm going with that. I have no. I have no authority to speak here. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not not in the slightest. My my point though is, um, I think sometimes in our because of the idea of the self made man, which as Ratzinger has said is ridiculous. We're so addicted to this American ideal of you know yeah. the self made man that it's. Um, it actually kind of like robs us of that because the self-made man is impossible. Right. So in a way, when like Obama says, you didn't build that business yourself, other people helped you, he's right. Um, the point is, is that we cannot, ex- like it, it is necessary that we exist so we can be there for others and others can be there for us. And I think when you, you know, have a nice guy, it's not, it's not that it is unnecessary that I exists it's almost that uh there's been a mistake and i have up to fix this somehow and you need to fix it for me don't demand anything of me because mm. if you're if my if my existence has an aspect of uh, of like uh, of my existence has an aspect of unnecessity that means that i'm good and that i am important but it also means that um something is demanded of me yeah and like you said, that that's hard. That's scary. That that takes work. And what a nice guy does is he basically wants a girl to do it f- to do it for him. He wants the girl to almost, almost validate his existence, or the woman somehow. Yeah. Or or a host of other things. It can be a clean car. It can be like a clean house. It can be making lots of money. It can be these things. If I just if I, this thing is going to make me happy, so I'm going to bend everything to try to get this thing. I'm going to be nice about it. That way, I deserve it. It almost it almost tries to manufacture that necessity. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's where we come back to the beginning of this. Like, what is the origin of confidence? And I think the origin of confidence then is not rooted in our <laughs> evolutionary violence. And need to dominate and be the alpha male or alpha female or whatever. The prettiest, the handsomest, the most attractive, whatever, for reasons of mating. I think that you can you can style it. Because I think within every culture and subculture, you find people who have achieved certain things that give them confidence. Like, in one sense, a co- uh, confidence comes with achievement. But I think in the other sense, you could say confidence comes from the like the painful art of self acceptance, right? Like, yeah. Well, and and just I would even say that like 
like that's the res- that's the result of con- or like yeah. So that self acceptance is the result of experience. So if I know that I've if I have I've tested myself, even if I have fallen a much short of that, I did something. Like one of the coolest moments of my life in terms of sports was on a B rugby game against um, Xavier's A side, which is a huge college. They're they're I mean, they're a huge um, Catholic uh, school, and we had to play their A team. And I was like, I am just I'm just doing this to like distract myself from my mom having stage four cancer. I'm not gonna yeah had no idea how bad her cancer actually was. Oh wow, yeah. They tried to hide it from me. It was stage four. Shit. And find out to like, yeah, it was really bad. The only reason why she's alive, pretty much, is because she did this experiment, this experimental like treatment thing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so that's what a good carry does. You just hide it f- f- from everyone. Well, I can understand so why they'd hide it from bad. you, but why for me? <laughs> I had Thanksgiving I at your house for years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was very hard to hear that, and and she's totally fine now. Pray, you know, praise God. She's like every um every she has to have a checkup. I think every year or every two years, and she's been fine. So it's kind of amazing. But um, you know, so anyways, I was playing this game, and there was this huge um, African American guy who was like six eight, just jacked, and he had the ball, and he was coming like right at me. And we were getting destroyed during this. Game. Well, it was actually kind of close, but we ended up I'm losing the game. And I was like, okay, this guy's either going to run me over or I could do what like Ben Hickman did on one time and just get on my knees and just grab him. <laughs> and I was like, I'll see what happens. And I got on my I'll knees and you I just hell. grabbed him. <laughs> and I pulled, I like pulled this guy down. And I remember being like, holy shit, I just tackled you. Like, it was, I was kind of like, I, I'm fine. We can lose this game. I'm totally cool. I just tackled this dude yeah. who's like should be playing in a collegiate, mm-hmm. you know, thing that's not intramural, not intramural, but like club rugby. Yeah, <laughs> like it's you know, it, it was <laughs> in that fail. My, my point is that in that failure comes this experience of like I just did something awesome, even though we lost, and I like you know hate losing. But my point is that. Um, Trying to face stuff is much better than not doing anything. That's where, like, that lack of confidence comes from is, is not doing anything. Yeah. The desire to face stuff. Yeah, which is why I think, like, things like in, I've been I've had two beers, and I'm like, woo! That's why I think um, doing stuff is, like, things like AMBG were so important because you had to do stuff. Yeah. You couldn't, you know, you didn't show up to a, a thing in the beginning. People are like, "Where were you?" Yeah. And and towards the end, it's like, "Yeah, whatever." Um. You know, like at the house, if I didn't do the dishes, um, people would be angry. That was really good for me to have that during college. If I wore all of your clothes while you're in Austria, I just shoved them all over the room, and you came back, you're like, "Where the hell are my clothes?" And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, "No comment, sir. I, no comment." That's when I lost a bunch of weight and could just wear all of your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you are magical. Yeah, the I, I really do like this notion of in this book, this notion of becoming. Like, I really do like this. So listen, to this. I, I, I'm not going to just sit here and read quotes, but I think this quote was is awesome. Like, he says, man must first learn to accept himself in the painful experiment of his living. He must embrace the spiritual adventure of becoming a man, moving between the many stages that lie between birth and death. And 
He has this great line where he says, soon enough with man's first feeble explorations into the uncharted inner depths of his personality, he's tempted to an outright denial of what is most his own. Man's flight from himself begins early. And I I think that, I mean, like, I I love that expression. I love it because I think this is equally true for men and women, you know, as, as human beings. Like, am I really capable of this? Am I really passive aggressive or am I really a kind man? Do I really disinterestedly love these, you know, women around me in high school and in college? Or am I playing an elaborate game with their emotions and with my own, right? Like fleeing from myself. And it's amazing how when you have people in community that know you and care enough to call you on your bullshit. Like I think that is the most, whether it's a man or a woman, the most important thing. My wife can do that to me. I can't do it to her because ugh, then I don't get sex. But my wife can do that to me. <laughs> she could no, no. Um, them's the rules. Them's the rules. I'm sorry. What did you say about my need for acceptance of others? Oh, uh, you're cut off. What, baby? <laughs> um, no, but the, the yeah, you men are mirrors to other men, and it's in, yeah intimidating to hell as hell. Like men are mirrors, and the thing that you admire about other men oftentimes is what you aspire to or if you uh, are struggling with yourself or whatever the things that you resent in them and that's what i fear like with male friendships going the route that they go which is into oblivion is that men who are nice guys don't have male friends not just because they don't challenge them but because they ultimately the nice guy resents the strengths of other men the way he resents the women who don't accept his sexual advances. Yeah. Yep. Right? And it's like, I well, want to be you. The advances don't exist. Yeah. I want to be you, That's and I want to be with you. I resent you, oh woman, because you don't want to be with me. And I resent you, oh man or men or whatever, because I'm not like you. And I'm not, I'm not willing to do the work. I'm going to become a pickle instead. Well, and it's weird, and, and this doesn't, I think a lot of, like, where people get hung up on is they think this means you have to become this alpha male douchebag, yeah. and that's not what we're talking about. It's yeah. not, like, that's not good either. Yeah, it's not it's machismo, just, that's the jerk, that's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's being, um, like, that can be the quiet on the nerd who, like, okay, so take, like, Adam, like, like, Adam, like, Robozoli, oh, he's God. not this huge, extravagant alpha like i'm gonna kick your ass and take names dude he's just a brilliant cool hip guy who does awesome stuff because he loves what he does and he he's passionate about cool stuff and he, like he seeks them out and he does them and i i mean i'm i haven't talked to him in a while but i'm kind of i'm kind of like assuming this hasn't changed um no he's so, writing um, 3d games for yeah exactly uh, vive <laughs> last like, time i went to his apartment like, pro- i'm like i'm in happy land i love you yeah, he like taught himself like programming our last um, semester of college and he made a whole career out of it. Yeah, it was amazing. And he was just and he was, you know, he's not again this like alpha cool guy that everyone's like, but like, he's just this fun kind of hip um nerdy dude that just like loved what he loved and just pursued it with all of his heart. Can I tell you my favorite comment th- Adam Robozelli ever said? Hmm. He said and now Adam when he wanted to could get jacked very quickly and he said, "I don't work out all that much." Because I struggle with vanity, and when I start to work out, I find I look at myself in the mirror too often. So he's like, <laughs> "So I'm just not going to work out 
so that I don't look jacked. But in Austria, he did, and I was like, holy crap, this guy is a, he is a beefcake. He's the beefiest I always, nerd. I remembered, like, I always felt like he kind of didn't get this whole, like, self-loathing thing that half of us did. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> guys, just be happy. And we're all like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm Brian Kissinger. I'm going to write a song about this girl. I'm so sad. Blah, 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 blah. Derek Webb in the hallway. Luke, relationships are hard. So I do have um, one more point that I want to add to this. I think one thing, too, is that when you actually get close to other dudes and you're willing to, like, share a life um, with each other and push each other in hard ways and do tough things, these guys you hold up on a pedestal, you start to see their their faults. Yeah. You start to see their shortcomings. You start to see the things that make their life difficult, and it helps you um, realize that you're not that different than them. You know, so take our bud who was in the Secret Service. Like, we got to know him very, very well, and he's a badass dude. But, like, I also saw, like, we, I, I, like, we all lived with him for two years, and we saw his good days, and we saw his bad days. And we know that, like, I remember I'm thinking out of college, well, if he can do this, I, could, I considered it as a career option because he was doing it. And it's like, it helps ground you in reality because you, that's why I think reading biographies, I've been experiencing this with, the Truman book. I have 280 pages left. It's such a great biography. And I think why, but why biographies are so good to read, especially if they're well written and well researched is you get the full picture of the person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you've got someone who's done these great or incredibly hard things, you see, or even, you know, horrible things who, you know, the person who's trying to be a good person, like, I really believe that, Truman always tried to do what he thought was the right and good thing to do. And you see what went into that. And it's it, like it makes you more like you said, that's kind of going back to the idea of the process of, be, of becoming more and more um, human. When you read biographies um, like that, it really does help. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's like the why do we have movies? We have movies to increase our empathy in a very big way. Why do we tell stories? We tell stories off, uh, in order to understand the world and everything around us, but we also tell stories to empathize with people who aren't us and to aspire and all that other stuff. But one of the big things that I, I keep coming back to when we talk about this is like that, that notion of becoming and then how it affects the last week's episode of Personas. Right, a persona originally a prosopone was a mask that an actor would wear, and that's eventually in the Latin where we took persona, and you still hear that that word persona in both the word person and persona, right? Like I adopt what actors do, right? I'm adopting a role, not a place. The reason why person and persona were used in the Latin Church in the West so easily is our role was God given. Right, So it was who we were. So for me to reject my role in society as priest, as feudal worker, as king or whatever, um, by rejecting my role, I'm rejecting my God. right? And I'm rejecting my place in society. I am rejecting my neighbor. It was like a form of self-exile. We all have roles to play. And I, I, I start thinking about this in our modern world where you and I don't really feel like necessarily like we have these roles to play in an existential sense. 
right? Like we don't feel like our our society is not a congruent whole. So that but the adoption of these personas today is like it, it's one sense of like trying to find our identity. Like, do I fit in here? Do I fit in there? Or how do I maintain this? Like in this notion of becoming, like I'm in the process of becoming a man. I'm not fully a man. I'm still exploring this through the painful experiment of life. But like one sense of persona can become, I'm striving to achieve this thing. But in another sense, it can become, this is a detour from actually the hard work of being, right? Or the hard work of becoming. Mm -hmm. And I can adopt a persona of the bad boy or the rebel or the edgy youth minister or whatever you are. Uh, You know, like these things of like the homeschooled nerdy guy and all these different stuff. I can adopt these personas that actually are a subtle form of escapism. I'm running from the task of becoming a man Mm. or becoming a woman. Yeah. And that's a true poverty because there's no humility there. There's no saying like, okay, Lord, this is who I am and this is who you've called me to be. Like that's the Christian form of self self acceptance. Instead, it's the exact opposite. It's these are all the things I want to be that I don't think I am. So I'm going to pretend. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, that's interesting. It's weird how much we do, especially oh, with nice guys, and and I can say this because I was that. Like how much we try to avoid pain and then we experience it because we lack courage we don't enter into things that are hard. And so when pain does come, you don't have the courage to get out of it either. Right. Like so much of the shit that I um, went through when I was younger, especially in college and in high school would have been better if I just tried harder at school or just like I'm focused on doing my job. Well, wherever I was working or any of those things. Like that was the courage of getting like half of the breakups that I uh, that I that I I um, went through. Like w- honestly, like I think like the one of the best ways to get it over any type of um, any um, type of breakup is to start to work out and just take care of yourself a little bit. And you just realize, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay. Like I'm because it's hard. Like it's you're going through a break of communion. Like you have a relationship that's being torn up. And even if you didn't date for, like, a long period of time, it's still not. It still sucks unless you just don't care about the person, which I've done before, and that's horrible. I do not recommend that. Not good for anyone involved. And so that's why I, th- I think, you know, going on runs, on the working out, uh, you know, maybe taking your fashion more um, seriously, showing that uh, that you respect yourself, things like that. Like, it- Girl, wash your face. Girl, just wash your face. Yeah, re- like on it's you know it's 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 it's, it's the same thing about like how do you get out of a funk? Clean your room. You know, it just it, it kind of shows. Hey, I can handle this. Like like I've been given free. I have like we've been giving, we've been given the ability to be God. Yeah, to be Christ like, to serve others, to like make to create good things. To you know create beautiful things and when we engage in that there's a really when we engage in our godliness that we're called to there's a lot of healing in that especially when it's for others it's funny that you say that so i started reading the book the hack and i'm like six or seven chapters in and there's a guy that he goes to beat up to argue with who's a friend of his from high school from grade school you know and 
um this guy's like just a lout you know he lives for the party and that's all he is you know and we were coming to the exact same party for 10 years and in no way is that depressing Mm -hmm. so he goes over to this guy's house and he's like the guy look his house looks like a laundromat like there's just clothes everywhere you can't tell what's clean or dirty men come in and they just come in with a couple liters of beer they drink and then they leave and they watch the game and blah 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 and he's like this guy's a slob and he's just going from party to party to party and um, it's funny that you said that because one of the big things that is a sign of this guy's rut is there's his house is unclean in like everything. The clothes he's wearing, like he's got a stain on it. There's a wet mat in his bathroom, and the guy's like, "Golly, here's this dude living for pleasure and having sex all the time. He doesn't even get a, a dry bath mat. This guy's gross, right?" And it's funny because like you see this this thing of. Um, just what you said, like when when you feel like everything's like caving in, doing things like cleaning your room and they almost become it's funny, they almost become like little ascetical practices that we mm-hmm. do because Christ died for us and desires us to be whole with him in heaven. And it's like it's a it's a way of even saying no to asceticism is a way of saying like ultimately saying I reject God in rejecting myself. Like, that's the weirdness of a Christian self-love. Yeah. Right? So it's not this indulgence of like, oh, I'm going to look at porn and masturbate, and I'm going to eat fast food, and I'm not going to work out, and I'm going to do all the bad things. You're doing that because you hate yourself. Get some boba. Yeah, well, you're doing that because you hate yourself, not because you love yourself. But that's the disorder of self-love. But when there's a Christian self-love, it's I'm willing to engage in these small ascetical practices because... Christ said yes to me. Therefore, I need, in a whole way, a holistic way, not in a cheesy modern self-help way, but I need to say yes to me. My little asceticisms to make my life respectable show that I'm responding to the grace of Christ that, that's already moving. And that, that's why in that book he says, we can then understand why we constantly need the help of grace when we realize, when we then realize how much easier it is to say no instead of yes to oneself, and why all asceticism is first designed to serve this great yes. And I realized, like, yeah, that's part of the pain of becoming a man is accepting these painful moments of, like, now I'm an adult, I can't expect my mommy to make my bed. I can't expect my mommy to do my dishes or to do the laundry. Like, this is a part of those practices that form me into being the type of person that is worthy of the love of another human being because I already have the love of a divine being. Well, and it helps us see that we can do this. Yeah. You know, like uh, the greatest conference for high school kids to go on is the Abide Conference that happens out in Cincinnati. I truly believe that. It is the greatest high school conference Ever, I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's a little hyperbolic, but I, I truly think it is wonderful. And one of the things that's so good about it is it's a, it's a complete experience of the Christian proposal, especially at the end where these kids go out and do street evangelization the last two nights. There's so much healing that they experience because they're getting out of their um, shells and they're getting uncomfortable 
after spending so much time with Christ and experiencing all this intense healing, they tend um, to realize, oh, there is um, nothing, there is, um, there is, um, there is like nothing else I'm um, left to do besides go before others. Getting uncomfortable in that way is so good and being stretched. Like when we're, we're when we're able to be stretched and it's coming from a um, from like when it's grounded in God is so life transforming. Like it's just so incredible. Yeah. You know, like how often do people you know, like, you know, with, with a lot of people's porn addictions or there's, you know, like all of the heavy sins that are really holding them back. How often do people just go, Oh, I'm just going to try harder next time as opposed to really getting accountable, like trying to find healthy, a accountability from others or going to counseling or going to SA or going to these things that, like you, like we're called that can actually provide real healing, yeah. but instead we're just like, oh, I'm just going to give it the old one, you know, the old, uh, the old know, college old American try. go, <laughs> yeah, the old college try, which the is old just college. Like this whole, and by like, college, we mean Luke in freshman year. Try, <laughs> yeah. Which is don't go to your one class for two weeks until you actually have a nightmare that you're failing and you show up and you don't know what's going on. And so then you go and you realize, holy shit, I don't know what's going on. And somehow you passed. <laughs> Persona. Because that nice, because that nice girl explained the whole quiz you were about to take to you and what you should have studied, and you didn't do too bad on it. <laughs> Yeah, oh gosh. 18-year-old Luke. Like, 18-year-old Luke had such, he did so many good things, but he was just a few things off from just being truly happy. So close. What so about close. what about 30-something-year-old Luke? He's doing all right, man. He's very happy right now. Good. good. I'm good. How is 30-something-year-old Gomer almost turning 40? If you round up. If you round up. My wife just turned 40, so I'm doing pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you, you have a wife in her in her fifth up decade of life. How does that feel? It's wild. It's wild, man. The sex is better than ever. There you go. The hangovers are worse than ever. The old college <laughs> I feel like I'm Shannon. Like, okay, at your guys' peak, who could really outdrink the other one? Oh, no, always me. Always me. Shannon, Shannon was a Bud Light, Budweiser girl because she's from... St. Louis, and she loved that stuff. Truly, truly. But no, no, no. There was she has a she has a good reputation I mean, she, of being able to hold her own. But yeah, she's not a drunk. I'm not trying to imply right, that. Right, but right. I'm saying like I there are very few. I, I she's one of my favorite people to drink with. Yeah, she is not a wussy drinker. She knows what she wants. She drinks it, but she only drinks to have fun in social situations and stuff like that. She's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's not in a competition with anyone. Oh no, that's not true. In college, she was. <laughs> we, 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 we I mean, like she, we would drink a lot yeah. while we would watch uh, The Bachelor. What was it? no? It wasn't The Bachelor. It was like Geek or the whatever. Oh yeah. Do you remember? We were so angry because she didn't choose the geek at the end, and I was like, "You stupid woman! <laughs> the guy was wonderful. <laughs> he had a precious heart. He had a precious heart." <laughs> and you chose the guy who was just a douchebag. Yeah. Oh, I was so mad about that. <laughs> oh, the things I'll watch just to get closer to Shannon. 
like NASCAR <laughs> still happens. <laughs> Where you're like, I don't understand this. And she's like, because it takes balls and guts, Gormley. That's why. Yeah. Tastes piss and vinegar. But what are you, you little homeschooler runaway? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Not. <laughs> not brains and philosophy. Enjoy your Greek. We're going into fifth gear. <laughs> <laughs> they just got out of pit crew, <laughs> you little boy. Why don't you go read your books? <laughs> Enjoy your things from the 1300s that uh, that they like nobody cares about. It. We're about to turn left and take some ass. Oh, by turn left and take some ass, you mean read Hansers von Balthasar? Hey, oh, hey, I love that man so much. I do too. So I think one day we should do him. an episode on Dare We Hope. Ah, uh, do you own that? Yeah, do you own that? No, I, I I do need to read. I've got a I have a Balthazar book that I, I haven't read yet that I need to read it. Uh, what is it? I not porn by Matt Fry. Um, <laughs> the porn myth. It? It, no, I've only so I've only read two Balthazar books. Well, sorry, that's not true. I've I have a book where he, it's all of his homilies from uh, all of like the liturgical calendars for oh each yeah, the Sunday. heart of the world. Has, or like, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Um, I've read most of that. And then I've read uh, Raising the Bastions or, or whatever. And then I've read the majority of Prayer and a yeah, bunch sure. of little smaller stuff. But I, there's this other one that I have that I that I never read and I, and I want to read it. But I, it's not on my shelf. It's in here. Yeah, you should definitely read Love Alone is Credible. That is- that's it. That's it. That's, that's the other book that I have. Yeah, Light of the World is the commentary. And Heart of the World that's right. is another great little book. Of his, um, I just like, yeah. I just get so annoyed. I'm just like, leave Balthasar alone. Like these. Okay, here's what bothers me, really. Because this is this is all I'm gonna say. Here is what bothers me. These people who shit on Balthasar love Ratzinger. How the he- heck could you love Ratzinger and shit on Balthasar? It makes no. It's like I'm saying I love Paul McCartney, but I hate John Lennon. You you can't you can't do that. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. The dudes um used to write together, and then go off to the woods and talk about it. Like, are you talking about um, Ratzinger, Balthazar or yeah, and Ratzinger? Like, yeah, like like they would like go and like all these I'm um, writing re- retreats and go out in the woods and just like walk and talk about stuff they were I'm um, working on. At his at Balthazar's like at Balthazar's like funeral, I believe it was um, Ratzinger who like said the mass. Oh yeah, he did. It called awesome. him the, the most cultured man of the twentieth century. Like yeah, he 100%. loves Balthazar. Yeah, and it just like when certain um people who I'm not going to, to name like they just like mourn the fact that we don't have Ratzinger as pope any anymore, but yet they don't like Balt, but they crap on Balthazar, and I'm like, dude, like he's the other side of Ratzinger's coin. Like, they are the two prophets in the wilderness calling, like, they're the Elijah and Moses of the 20th century. You can't separate them. It drives me crazy. Man, that's a pretty tall order, what you just said. No, but I absolutely, I think, like, them and, like, Jasani, I like, they are, like, they're freaking prophets, man. Like, they're so important. And to just divorce them from I, each other. Hey, I'll, like, I'll say this, though. The majority of people who hate Von Balthazar... You mean like more conservative theologically people? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Many like, I don't of them names, like but Pope you can guess. Benedict as a pope, but now uh, two guys in particular that I'm thinking of, they despise the whole what's called the Novel Theology. Like they despise 
Louis Boyer and Henri de Lubac and all, I mean, Von Balthazar, the whole group of guys mm-hmm. that were around the Comunio, um, yeah, the publication, as opposed to the idiots from <laughs> the Koinonia. Now, Carl Rahner is a super genius. Like, I'm not going to deny the fact that Carl Rahner was a comprehensive intellect, but, and I'm also not going to call him unfaithful to the church. I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that Carl Rahner probably was running in that direction, less so than Hans Kung and all those other total apostates. But, um, yeah, like people don't like the Novel theology. They don't like the new theology right now. There is a – you know how, like, they describe hipsters as nostalgic for a past that wasn't their own? So they buy, like, film cameras and they wear cardigans from the 50s. And, mm-hmm. you know, they have mustaches that look like they're from the 1920s. Well, that mm-hmm. to me, there's, like, this element of, like, capster theolo- Catholic theological hipsterism where it's like, I only want to read up to Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, the great Thomist, or earlier. I will not touch anything after him. And it's like, get, get off it. Like, these people were writing brilliant stuff. Like, the Novel Theology was brilliant just because it wasn't strictly Thomist. Because Ratzinger was an Augustinian, um, he always referenced or you know put his work against Thomas's, but he found more life yeah, in yeah. Augustine, and so he was an Augustinian. I love Ratzinger so much. I love his stuff. I do too. It's so important. Like yeah. it's just I cannot tell you how freeing it was to read all, all this rat like, and just then you read on Balthasar on with it, and it's like this makes sense. Like these things together make so much sense. Yeah. And they are just calling out all of the problems of our. It's right, like it is a gift to the church. It is an absolute gift. And when people just crap on it because, like, I just don't get it. What my I, I my really problem don't understand is, it. Yeah, my problem is when people crap on the book. Dare we hope? As as if he's a universalist. As if he's an idiot coming up. As if he's like. Some parish priest who got like six hours of theology training and is just spewing stuff out. I mean, that's why when I posted the thing on Twitter, which Taylor Marshall responded to, I don't know if you saw that. Did you see that? I did not. You should go into my tweets. I wrote, thanks, Taylor Marshall, for the excellent book recommendation. I can't wait to start reading. I took a picture of Dare We Hope. Uh, the cover of it and the table of contents. And I posted the table of contents because ha- he has a whole chapter devoted to St. Thomas Aquinas and and this issue. And so, um, but I put that up there in Taylor, but I didn't tag Taylor Marshall because I don't follow him. But Coward. Um, what? <laughs> I'm running from myself. <laughs> I'm no, just kidding. But I, I mean, I, I don't follow him. So um, I didn't tag him in it, but he came back later and it was like three days later and he's like, um, well, I didn't exactly recommend this book, but he said something like, I'm glad you're reading or something like that. Um, it, it was, <laughs> he has no idea who you are. No, no. <laughs> I'm glad you're reading. Yeah, it's, it was, I don't know if that's what he said. It was something like along those lines. I can't remember. It wasn't I'm like an attack it. statement, right? That's what I mean. Like it wasn't like a dismissive thing, but um, it was funny because then all the, then it started up again and actually, oh, I can't read it because I'm blocked. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> but the, a fan of the show wrote in and was like, well, I think we need to do away with this hope thing and just pray and do, you know, work. and I said, well, 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 hope is a thing. It's called a theological virtue. It's not wishful thinking. Like, I don't agree with Ratzinger's. Ultimately, I don't agree with Ratzinger and Barron on this, but I'm not going to be an idiot who pretends, and this it guy was wasn't Baltasar being an idiot. The guy, repun- 
replying to me. But there's so many people who are like, oh, he denies. You like Balthasar and Baron? Sorry, I just, I just want to correct you. Yeah, yeah. I'm mean, Balthasar. Okay. Did I say Ratzinger? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Von Balthazar. No, Balthazar and Baron. Bees are back again. Kill a bees, y'all. Uh, but I don't I don't want to pretend like... Ooh, dang. <laughs> I'm not pretending like I agree with them and wholeheartedly endorse the Von Balthazarian view of hell or his dare, just hoping that maybe it will be empty. But my whole thing is like, shut up if you think they're not like intellectual giants over you. And I, lesser Baron, but definitely Von Balthazar. Like, Von Balthasar is such an intellectual giant. For for people who studied theology on the back of a freaking, like, web blog, like, excuse me. Like, you might be able to quote Thomas in the original Latin, but so could Von Balthasar, and he could do it ten times better than you. So let's all just calm down and actually realize he's doing theology. He's doing theology, which maybe he's wrong. Yeah, but they, okay, that's fine. But they won't do it because it, I, I just... I just don't get it. I, I I just like it's not a it's not like like the, the, like he calls it a like I mean he tries to he tries to correct himself but like he went out and at one point in time and called it a like the Balthasar heresy and then he was like oh I'm so it's not that the Balthasar proposal or something like that's not even like what Balthasar is about yeah. Like his whole thing's about an encounter with the lip. I mean, I, I'm I'm not a pulsar expert, so I should not like it. I'm like I'm just so, yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, just, I just want to like, what are you like? Why? Why? It, it feels like a shtick. Yeah. Like, like it feels like this is their their little shtick they're doing because they're hitting a nerve on the church and like. Well, I th- also I think get the, I get the concern of like the state of the church. I'm 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 with you, but to like. I don't know. I think it's just part of the narrative that it was all better 50 years ago or 100 years ago. You know, and what started to change? Well, there was the liturgical movement. There was a charismatic movement. There was all the movements that coalesced into this thing called the Second Vatican Council. I mean, that's the narrative. The narrative is anything before Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange is okay as long as it's not modernist. So they despise uh, Romano Guardini who wrote Spirit of the Liturgy, which started the liturgical reform movement. And Cardinal Ratzinger was one of its best expressors in a book he wrote entitled The Spirit of the Liturgy, you know, 80 years after Romano Guardini's book was published. Like, there, there is this whole can of worms that they're just trying to dismiss whole cloth. And that's the reason. I mean, that's it. They appreciate the traditional papacy of Pope Benedict, but they want nothing, nothing else to do with them. And it's stupid. Really? So they even reject um, Benedict? Well, I mean, the amazing thing is they, they don't reject Benedict as if he's not a pope. And they don't. a lot of these people don't reject Francis as if he's not a pope. They think Francis was a bad pope. JP2 was mediocre. And Pope Benedict was a gasp, a, a grasp at a good pope. But ultimately, he failed, too. And, he, and he, his biggest failure was quitting early. What do you think they want? Like, just, like, what do they want? They, they want... The sawdust Thomism that von Balthasar rejected. So von Balthasar did not reject St. Thomas Aquinas. Von Balthasar rejected end of, uh, 19th century and 20th century Thomism or scholasticism, which was a sawdust Thomism. They stopped conversing with the problems of the world and were just having these, these incredibly inane debates among themselves that no one was listening to. And, uh, like, I mean, one of the funny examples was, like, the University of Notre Dame in, like, the 1950s 
held some huge domestic conference and it's like no one cared and no one came and no one listened because they're talking about you know substance and accidents ad infinitum and no one gave a crap so i think a lot of people want that world back not the sawdust side of it but there was a coherence around there's there's you know it was a golden age in their minds it wasn't at all it was a disaster but it was a golden age in terms of the Pope was speaking Thomism, and everyone understood that language going forward. And so there's not diversity of opinion. Where there's not a diversity of opinion, there's a false security. I, I, I really believe they are hunting. Pope Francis said it in one of his documents. Um, like, these people have this, like, bizarre fetishism for nostalgia. And uh, everything that is new is awful. And they, they, I don't think they admit that to themselves, but I think that's really what it is. I mean, I guess what, like, really bothers me about a lot of this stuff is some of the good things that I, like, I would love to get, I actually like priests and Catholics and a lot of this yeah. stuff. And it's kind of weird being at Glen Mary that is so not that. And hearing the perspective of a lot of these older priests or people who work there who are like, well, here's why we did this. And I'm like, okay, I kind of get that. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I like, I, I just... I think because the world now is so different, there's just something kind of cool and ancient and just like fun about uh, the cassocks and the priest with the hats and all. I'm like, I kind of like it a lot actually, but it just, what prevents me from getting more on that bandwagon is all of this. Yeah. Like, I just want nothing to do with it. I want nothing. Like it just is so, um, I don't really see what it has to do with the person of Jesus Christ. It feels like an obsession with the church at they're going to neglect the father for the sake of the mother. And it just feels weird. Yeah. Like, it's almost like you're really like weird mama's boys where it's just kind of like, ah, you're a little attached man. Yeah. Like, you know, that's what like, it's just it's weird. I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, I could see myself going that way years ago, and I'm happy I'm not. And I credit that to Franciscan and other things. But oh, right there with you, man. All right. Hey, let's wrap this we up. We did it. Let's wrap this we up. We did it. This is a good old, this is, we, we're back on our game. Back on our game, baby boy. I feel like that was good. Yeah, I did too. I feel like that was good. Yeah. Five, All right. four, four, three, two, one, one, go.